Oh, man. Um, I finished my Lamborghini. Lamborghini. Mm-hmm. Yep. And? It's pretty good. Is it, how's the torque? Uh, it's four-wheel drive, which is interesting. I don't think that the Bugatti's four-wheel drive. Is torque related to the number of drive wheels? Only tangentially. Uh, okay. Torque is like if you step on the gas, it's how much power you get turning the motor, right? So like how hard does the axle spin? Not how fast, but how hard. I think it's really important that we are not recording the actual podcast yet because if anyone heard us have a conversation about you teaching me about what torque in a bugatti is or isn't or <laughs> lamborghini it, our whole credibility would be ruined well, one of them would. because i don't know or because <laughs> no <laughs> Acceptable podcast episode 184, where Dang. I just actively look towards when I can start this intro at a totally out of the blue time for a conversation that Django and I are having. Django, who's that? We'll get to that in a second. It's every Tuesday we pick up a whole bunch of comic books for our comic shop that Django and I own, and uh, we take them home, we read them, love them, roll them around in them, and then we bring them back to the shop so that we can sell them after they've been rolled in and they're covered in our filth stink. And uh, then we come back home because it's COVID land and we get on a Zoom call to record a podcast together um, where we engage a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the books, the comic shop that we're not physically in at this moment or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff. I'm Django. And uh, this week... We're going to talk about... Yeah, you are doing so good at your chore. <laughs> you are so good. I never even have to ask you to do it. We're going to talk about Wind Number 1. Nice. Strange Adventures Number 2. Good one. Green Lantern Number 4. Clutch. Superman Number 22. Nice. Young Justice Number 15. Dark Knight's Death Metal Number 1. And Against Hope Graphic Novel by Victor Santos. And probably some other stuff. Like I, I got, I got shit to spit. Boys got shit to spit up in here. Um, boy, howdy, everybody! It is a world where every other week we get Marvel books, but that means every other week we don't get Marvel books, and that <laughs> is this week. It's a no Marvel week book. So when I looked down at my stack and it was, you know, six parts DC and one part Boom, I was confused. But also, uh, you know, look, looking forward to all the DC books that were on here. Before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping. Oh, Jesus. You're going to tell them? I'm going to tell you. I got a message. Oh. Now, this is a little bit inside baseball. This is just so, sort of, we're breaking down the wall. Usually, Jango and I would talk about this, but I'm springing it on him. I hope you're okay with this, Andrew Carlson, friend of the show. Thoughts? As long as we're not telling them the other... No, we can't. That's okay. there's rules. Okay. And there's there's rules and regs, regs, rules it, and regs. It sounds to me like uh, Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, Fots is Fots. Uh, coming after me again. No, he's not. Uh, do uh, I need to put on my emotional not, armor again? Not coming after you, but he sent me a message. He said we could make a small adjustment. Historian oh. of the show, 
Hots. Hots. Uh, and so then I hmm. thought, well, now we have to unpack, you know, is, listen, was Fots, is Fots aggressive? I wasn't there when you made Fots, but, uh, you know, Gosh. is Hots or Fots, is, is, do you think Andrew, do you think Andrew was scared away by Fots? Do you think he doesn't like having Fots yelled at him? I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel a little bit bad all of a sudden. Um, Django? Don't also, acknowledge feelings. Don't acknowledge feelings. I think we have to stand our ground. I we feel like to that too. Hold firm, and uh, I'm sure that someday someone will come along. Okay, and but check, hots. check this out. I've got an idea. <laughs> okay, because Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, Fox. is definitely also a historian. Sure, he is the historian of the show. Are you? Are you? I'm suggesting, suggesting, what if we say, like, Nathan Butcher is homeboy of the show, and now oh. he's Hots, and that's a way that we're just sort of like, oh, we dangled, it was dangled in front of Andrew, and now it's been snatched away, and now Nathan Butcher is Hots, but it's homeboy of the show, or some other H-word equivalent. I like that. I, I have another hot pitch. Boy. I okay. got another pitch for you. Okay, okay, okay. Um, right. What if we gave them both to Andrew, and he's Hots Fots? Oh, like a little Dr. Seuss sort of thing going on. I want to say fought shots. Oh, fought shots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, friend of the sh- friend of the show, historian of the show, fought shots. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I think we're on to something here. Thank so you for the suggestion. <laughs> <Andrew>. <laughs> We created a new one, and it is Fought Shots. All right, so Fought Shots sent me a message. No, that was the whole message, though. And, um, you know, in in best fashion, I think we took it as a note, and we took it, and we refined it. Yeah, it's it's perfect now. Uh, and the reason that I know is that Jeff almost never laughs at his own jokes in the way that he just laughed at his own joke. It's, yeah, I will. I just you found something special in him, Andrew. Well, it really was, you know, your <laughs> you, you said both, but then... The fact that fought shots <laughs> is <laughs> what it would be to be both is very good. Um, so, uh, careful with opinions, everyone. <laughs> Django, book number one, Wind by Jimmy T.I.V., James Tiny and the Fourth, depending on which company he's working at, and <laughs> Michael Dialnis. Dialnis? Yeah. Um, um, Boom Studios, Jimmy T.I.V. book. They were very excited about this book. And Jimmy T.I.V. hasn't done a ton of his own creations, right? He's got this and he's got Something's Killing the Children. And The Woods. And The Woods. Okay. Which was pretty long running at Boom. So he's definitely worked at Boom quite a bit. Doing his own stuff. Yeah. But 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 outside of that, I don't think, I can't think of other stuff really. Yeah. He's he's done a whole lot of Batman and, and... some pretty pretty well-liked stuff in general i think this follows a kid who is the um like kind of the the lower class in this kingdom and uh he's he's part of a group that the kingdom thinks that they've sort of eradicated from from their area Uh, he's got little pointy ears that he has to hide and um he's obviously well-liked by his employers at the at the restaurant he works at um, but he hears a lot of abuse about his race and uh no never mind i don't i i okay. was falling asleep okay django listen killer recap bro um 
what is what is worth mentioning about this book is that I knew that you were going to read it and I knew that I had no interest in it. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you the factors that contributed to me having no interest in going out. Uh, it is an oversized issue yep. by like James Tinian IV, who is notoriously overwritten. Loquacious. Like, loquacious, oh. wordy. He, he has addressed that himself. He understands it. And it is a fantasy book on top of all of that. So it's right. like an oversized, what I perceived to be wordy book that was fantasy. As I started it with that baggage going into it, I was also found immediately that it's like a kind of young teen protagonist book. And my thoughts in the first like third of this were like, I, there's too much of this. There's Middle West, there's Folklords, there's Wind. Those are just three books that I've writ- read in the last like two months that are almost exactly the same. Um, and then there's many, many more. I, I had none of my interest peaked until the moment where like somebody mentions like the bandaged man. And yeah. you know what? Okay. There's a great anime called Roroni Kenshin where there's a guy whose entire body is burnt and he's entirely wrapped in bandages. It just looks cool. I'm very into that visual iconography. <laughs> so that character is brought up. And then right after that, we're taken to like sort of sort of awkward young teen character sitting alone at his lunch. And I'm like, I don't care about this character. And it turns out he's like spying on super hot shirtless guy running around. And then I was like, okay, well, I at least appreciate that like that is not totally by the numbers, like everything else so far. And then from that moment on between like the mentioning of the bandaged man and then just like the sort of like super creepy boy crush you know like him Mm -hmm. like sitting up like spying on someone who's exercising um that piqued my interest enough that i did start to identify then that while it is very by the numbers it is i think a pretty big step forward for james tinian the fourth because i it wasn't overly wordy and it actually had lots of room to breathe and he didn't rely on his words to tell the whole story and yep. something is killing the children. That was true of, and I, and I can't remember if it was just that or something else around that time. Also, I had that same response of like not looking forward to it and then realizing that there was a fair amount of space to breathe in it. I was not excited about this book and I walked away from it feeling like it actually wasn't bad at all except for being a thing that I don't care about, which is like young teens in a fantasy world. Yeah. Because there's a, like we've talked about a fair number of those. Boom does that a lot. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about, you know, a number of them on the podcast recently, just not super my, my type of thing. It widened my perspective of what I thought James Tinian the fourth was about. So that, that is how I feel coming off of your pretty succinct, you know, play by play of what happened in the book. I, uh, I liked, I liked it a lot more than I expected to. There are a lot of books that um, kind of share attributes with this one coming out right now. Um, but like, I, I can't hold that against it. Right. Because I'll read every crime book that comes out, you right. know, and, and, 
somebody who this is uh, written for will read every book like this, and they'll they'll be able to tell the difference between them uh, in a more informed way than you and I can. Yeah, um, and that's that is really what I want to drive home about it is I I I was impressed by how well it was done on almost every regard, and didn't have any of the baggage that I usually bring into this person's books. What your statement was very very apt, which is that people that are on the end of this genre, I think would like this very much. Yeah, I think it's an undeniably good comic that um, doesn't doesn't make me want to probably get the omnibus that comes out. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably read the next couple issues. I, I, I thought the art was uh, better than most of this genre's art. Um, I, I really like the characters in the bar. I really like the city scene where the main character is sitting there eating um, eating his lunch and, and looking out over the city more than competent. I think it's a, I think it's a good comic. I love doing a podcast Jenga with you. What would your score be? I would give it a seven and a half. I would give it a seven um, or no. I, yeah. A seven. Um, not quite my thing. Although I do think like the last third of this issue compared to the first two thirds, much better. Uh, Jeff. Yes. I read a comic that was uh, definitely not just geared for kids. Yeah, there was a lot of like, well, it was a non-Marvel book week, so it was a small week. There was books with like a lot of weight to them. Yeah. You know, like Wind had a lot of weight to it. It was like, you know, we were getting all sorts of crazy press about how it's the biggest boom release and James and the Force's biggest release and it's gonna be the rarest variant that they've ever made. And, you know, people were pre-selling all these things. Uh, Strange Adventures, number two, by Tom King and Mitch Gerrids and Evan Shaner. Also, one of the weightier, more expectation-filled books uh, to come yeah. out. Yeah, and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's great. I, I loved it. I mean, we're basically just following um, Mr. Terrific as he sort of decides if he's going to take Batman up on his request to investigate Adam Strange. Um, and then that's interspersed with Adam Strange on Ran uh, having an adventure that I think uh, is, is probably going to end up being the adventure that we need to know about to solve the mystery. So, gosh... This one, oh, hmm, time, time plays a role <laughs> on how we read books. And I think that it is a little bit more exciting for me to read a Tom King book when there are a lot of other books coming out that I'm reading that are very different from Tom King books. Uh -huh. Um. I think that he acts as like a, a counter voice to the mainstream voices. And I think it makes me appreciate him more. I think that when there are fewer things coming out, um, it made me appreciate it a little bit less. Mm -hmm. And this is, I also, while reading this issue was like, we need to say, like, we don't usually say on a podcast, everyone should be reading this book. If there's, right. I think if there is one book you could be reading right now, coming out from comics it's probably this one in terms of the quality and depth of story i mean it, i don't yeah. know it's hard for me to to dial it down to one but it depends on what you want out of your books yeah. this is this is the closest to literature that's coming out right now i think yeah i i think that 
of all of the books that are coming out right now, this one is the most likely to be nominated for an Eisner. But also, I found myself like, okay, Tom King, one of my favorite writers, like, let's get in the mood for your thing here. And, you know, half of the book to probably like two thirds were following Mr. Terrific. Mm-hmm. And then the other third is that adventure on Rand with art by Doc Shaner that is incredible. And the Mitch Garrett's art is 99% amazing, except for the 1%, which is when he's zoomed in on one of those terrific balls. And it looks like early Bryce 3D bad computer 3D modeling of just like, <laughs> did you find that at all? Like I just was I'm like, looking for it right now. It's it's in like the latter third, but it's it's a little bit like, oh man, I'm su- like the one where he's working out here, um, right there. It, it, it's a little bit, um, and then while he's sleeping, it's a it's it reminded me very much of this application called Bryce 3D that I used to yeah. mess around with in sixth grade, where it's like really basic three dimensional textures layered over two dimensional ones. That's interesting. Um, but uh, the art is amazing. But yeah, just the in learning Mr. Terrific, every time we're with him, his terrific balls are asking him some absolutely random, asinine question. About history or math or science or, or just poetry like or knowledge. culture. Yeah, just it's like the highest, hardest level of jeopardy all the yeah. time, no matter anywhere he goes. And... I had to stop myself from skipping the really long-winded answers that Mr. Trivik was giving to these because at this point with Tom King books, love them though I do, like the all the poems that go in there and the fables and think sometimes they aren't the key to a large metaphor he's trying to unlock. Sometimes they are just sort of decoration or frill. Yeah. I've learned and that's a little bit of a letdown. So I'm not sure if that was what's happening here, but I was like, oh, you're doing your Tom King repetition thing real hard here. <clears throat> but he's also doing, like, he's doing his Tom King repetition, but he's he's doing it without repetition. Yeah, in some yes, of these, which is super sure. cool. For like, sure. I would rather have him do, um, you know, ask Mr. Terrific a bunch of questions versus, say, break your damn back 40 times in two issues or whatever. That is exactly yeah. the comparison I made. And at least break your damn back doesn't take four minutes to read a panel but oh, i loved it I, lo- I loved seeing how smart mr terrific is and how like at some point he asks his terrific ball to just like ask me a question i can't answer yeah right to ask me something i don't know and um i i i liked that he's just always kind of enriching himself and staying sharp with that and that that kind of that kind of shows you why Batman might ask him to solve a mystery that Batman can't dedicate his brain to. I, I would never say that Tom King's repetition is not without like merit. Well, and sometimes I think it's a little wanky. But yeah, this one, he, you know, he, you could say he did an amazing job of showing, not telling there. But he yeah. was telling a lot while yeah. he was doing it. Um, <laughs> he was but telling it, you something to show you something different. But mostly his repetition in, in his books is set up to be like repetition, 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 broken repetition. Right. And and in that, it totally made the him asking to have a, a question he couldn't answer. It made that emotional beat way heavier. And it also told us way more about Mr. Terrific than we could have been told in any other way of like, it, it was well, well, well done. More um, about him than I've ever known. 
Yeah, I know. I was a bummer to not have Roman here tonight because, you know, yeah. he knows all about him. I thought that the issue was, and, and I think that this whole series is an interesting exploration in story structure also, which, you know, Tom King played around a lot with story structure in uh, Mr. Miracle. And he did, he did some in Batman, but this is like parallel stories in different times that we're seeing over and over and over here. And mm -hmm. this is two issues in, and we're still getting that. I think that that's kind of going to be the theme of the issue or the, the whole series. And uh, I'm interested just to see how, how he does that and how he has them converge and, uh, you know, inform each other one of the best issues i've read in a long time it's a really yeah. good single issue i may have liked it even more than the first issue i'll i'll eat up hickman being hickman as much as he wants to do it and i like i put tom king in almost the same tier of a writer as hickman but yeah. it i didn't as easily swallow like tom king doing his tom king thing and like in terms of repetition and stuff as i would other things and i don't know if that was just me or my mood or the day or the week or the quarantine or whatnot but um that was my only stumbling block on it gonna give it a niner me too yep nine um terrific balls all right buddy where are we now well now we're entering um green lantern season two number four world mm -hmm. By uh, Grant Morrison, Liam Sharp, and Steve Olaf on colors. Um, surprising, probably Jeff more than anybody. I have caught up with Green Lantern, who I don't care about. It, written by Grant Morrison, who isn't an automatic read for me. Yeah, he's and, like a, he's uh, like a um, uh, man. What is he? He's like an obligatory relationship read at this point. Like you have to stay abreast of all of his books because you know that there's going to be people ready to just publicly masturbate. This, this issue was not my favorite of this run. I think number two or three, I really enjoyed. This one was pretty good. It gives us sort of a silver agey um, exploration of this dimension that includes like little robot kind of golden children play testing toys and they think that green arrow and green lantern are uh, or flash and green lantern are these are toys to test out um we find out that the ring hal's ring is um has been kind of un untethered so it has fewer limitations than it did in previous iterations hmm. and uh he, he says he, he asks the ring you're sure about these specs? And the ring says, new battery, new rules, no limit to the scale of the construct, aside from the strength of your will, that is. So the ring is more powerful, but also a little bit snarky. Um, and yeah, so and Hal is able to, to build some like, like, he's able to build a pool cue and hands that are big enough to knock planets around, like they're pool balls. Okay. Which is way bigger than anything that he's done before. Um, there's there's the thing that Grant Morrison does sometimes where he'll make up a language um, and you can kind of figure out what's going on with it. But uh, I'm never a huge fan of being slowed down that much when I'm trying mm -hmm. to read something like you can figure it out from context clues. And uh, there, there seems to be a lot of history in this issue that I'm not super aware of as somebody who's never really read much Green Lantern. 
Um, there, there are characters that I think I'm supposed to know better than I do in here. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a, a pretty good issue and I like the art. I kind of miss Hal's uh, little winged cat pets that were in the last couple of issues, uh, but I'm sure they'll be back. So I'd give this one a seven and I'd, I'd give this series so far like probably seven and a half or an, or an eight. It's crazy to me that there is going to be like a, you know, assuming this second half is 12 issues, like the first half, and then there's the three issue middle part. There's going to be like a 30 issue omnibus of Grant Morrison's Green Lantern run at some point. Like, yeah, and we haven't gotten 30 issues of Grant Morrison on anything since his Batman run, I don't feel like. And when they asked Superman. him if he would do it, he said, nah. Yeah. And then the next day he called back. He's like, all right, I had an idea. I, guess. I, have, I have some ideas. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. That's true. Uh, yeah. So, Jeff, there's a comic that uh, we didn't get enough of, and I totally forgot to read this week. Uh, yeah. The, number 22. Yeah, the new era. You know, the new age. We don't have – we don't order – as many things for the stands as we did when there were people that we could rely on reliably coming in, uh, rely on reliably coming in to the store to peruse off of the shelf. So our orders, um, you know, are more dialed into what people have pre-ordered or for, are certainly subscribed for. And um, I was a bad boy and didn't ask for a library copy of Superman before we ordered it. Right. We have account copies of things so that we can Which make to sure to get chagrin. them. Chagrin. chagrin. But, uh, and then we also had an increased number of people asked for this in the, the last couple of weeks. But Superman 22 by Brian Bendis, uh, art by Kevin McGuire. Ooh. And it is some phenomenal Kevin McGuire art. Uh, he is so much fun, so much fun to look at. And his faces are great. Love him. Who colored yeah. it? Great question. Because um, his, his stuff can sometimes kind of veer into that, that Mr. Terrific Balls problem of looking a little bit too digital if he has bad colors on it or, or just kind of off-tone colors. There's like two double-page spreads that are the main reason that I want to talk about this book. Um, that end that I can't find a credit anywhere. It's something Sinclair. Okay. Um, Alex Sinclair's. The colorist, rather. All the art. No, I'm sorry. All, it says art Kevin McGuire, except for... Yeah, he did his own inking. So he did his inking, and then Alex Sinclair did colors. Okay. There is a double-page spread in here that is broken up panel-wise in a way that I think is, is awesome, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen before. But if you can picture a double-page spread and then um, a giant, thin, horizontal panel across the top and then four small panels beneath that, and then chunking that whole thing four times. So four double page thin spreads within four small panels beneath it, wow. making for a total of 20 panels on a double page spread. <laughs> but it is beautiful. And it's this uh, silent sequence of this huge battle scene. And it is great. And Kevin McGuire should do more art in comics. And, then and it some, doesn't look like that's hard to track either. Like, no, it's not. You, you I, sort of I get lost in double-page spreads sometimes, but that the, the the scale of the planet there really kind of tells you where you're, how you're going to read that. Right. It is an interesting story, and it is good. I think that it is a better farming ground for ideas that will affect the larger DC universe and new characters. I think it is more that than it is an interesting linear story. It has, yeah. at any given time, it has been less about its own singular story and more about 
you know, creating Naomi or creating the Legion of Superheroes for the future or like, you know, fixing the Oz effects, you know, Superman's dad coming back from Rebirth. Like it, it has been, you know, revealing Superman's identity. Less about this singular linear story and more about affecting larger change in the DC universe, which is mostly what he's done at DC so far. He it hasn't feels like the like a summer crossover series yeah but like two years long or years like but like here is all of the connective tissue for everything in the universe have fun spidering out to whatever interests you it really has done that and aside from metal which we'll get to where they sort of let that book handle the reins of the larger dc universe you know he's also writing young justice and in this one they allow bendis to really sort of iron out multiverse continuity inconsistency from like you know they're they're basically saying like all right why does connor kent from the old huge spanning dc universe how is he alive here and at some point he was sent to gym world and our reality has been like continuity has been resetting every like x years Mm -hmm. and he -hmm. was sent to gym world and our world continued to go through these weird changes. And with him not there, they just sort of adapted to not like creating a reality without him there when a crisis happened and then another one. And so the world kind of forgot it. But then when he comes back and touches people, they uh, remember stuff kind of like how that happened with Wally. And uh, that's cool. It is cool. It's sort of like we removed this character and you know, it's just been outside of time. Yeah. And that's all you really need to, to know. And they bring him back and there's some good stuff. And then this really sets up just some more young Justice League stuff. Anyway, the Bendis corner of the DC can, universe continues to be interesting and fun to read. Um, and, and you know, I liked both of those books and I would give uh, 7.5 to 8. 8 for both of them, really. I mean, they're just, they're a pleasure to read. They do have a ton of something in them that were in every single book I read this week. And we've just got to talk about it, Django. Okay. The number of times that writers are just lazily relying on, you know, asterisk, pound sign, number to like put the the word fuck in a book is insane. Like, uh, yeah, just say something more interesting. And they all kind of only fit variations of the word fuck like it's all just hey we're saying fuck now and we're not gonna write fuck but you know it's fuck is the word that we're trying to say and it's in every book it's like just do something more interesting like don't make me think that every character has to say fuck all the time bendis does it as he's gotten more colloquial as the time's gone forward but also scott snyder does it in Dark Knight's Death Metal, which I think I actually just jumped to because I don't have your book that you were going to talk about next. There was nothing in between. You're, okay, you're perfect. Right on target, buddy. Okay, perfect. When I don't even, have, we could even cut that out so that they don't know. <laughs> so then, and it happened like early on, within the first couple pages. But anyway, Death Metal's here. The sequel to Dark Knight's Metal, the book that. Um, I have every reason to believe this second one will be better than the first, if I'm going to be realistic. I, yeah, I, I, I think I posted on Facebook that this book was a mess and that you had to get through like the first half before it got really, really cool. Uh, really, really, um, Asterix, Ampersand, Octothorpe-ing cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I feel like the first series of Dark Knight's Metal 
that you could almost say that about that whole series. Like the first two thirds, I don't even think that it made sense. I think that like that book changed as it went on because people liked it so much. They're like, oh shit, we got to do something more of weight with this because it's just kind of an Elseworlds story, but it's the most successful story we've had all year. So we need to make it mean something. We need to add six one issue spinoffs and make it an extra, another issue longer. And... Put an Octothorpe in it. Yeah. Um, this one actually seems like, while the first one kind of became the the crazy coked up book that it was, this one seems like it's sort of already starting there. And there are a lot of yeah. cool ideas in it there's also a fair amount of like do i care but that's just jeff because i i I didn't love the first metal book yeah and i like i enjoyed the first metal book enough i i get kind of worn out with the super heady cosmic kind of stuff um and this this has a good amount of that but if you just kind of embrace it and don't worry about which universe this is happening in don't worry like just don't worry about it just let this comic happen to you and it's like you're in a you're, you're at a rock show and you can't hear the music because the music is so loud so it's like it's like being on acid um sure. this book actually reminded me a lot of like how you talk about things and i don't usually feel it like when we're out in the cosmic sphere of things um to me, I can ground myself in that because I can understand it as it is relating to other things. Right. Like, like if it's the fifth dimension relative to the third dimension, I have this anchor point of what's going on in the third dimension. Or like if we're just out in the idea sphere of the cosmonaut, eternals, all that stuff. Like you can kind of peel back the metaphors and get back to earth. With this one, I didn't know what time it was in. I didn't know where it was. Like, all right, is there only one Earth left? Is it's is this our DC universe? Like, it stresses to us the real DCU at the beginning. Right. Is it at a different time within that? We also have like three or four dystopian horror future DC books coming out right now. Right. Between like Injustice, Metal, Deceased, and there's another one. Um. Well, they, yeah, and, and that was kind of the problem with the original metal was that in the main DC universe, we never saw Batman get tortured like he did in metal. We never saw Superman stuck in, in that situation that he was in in the original series. And so it kind of, I, w- I would almost rather they just said definitely not the real DC universe. I would much prefer that because yeah. for this, it tries, to, it, it, it to me puts it in a in a place where I can't connect it to the main universe at all, but it is saying that it is relevantly there. So it reminded me of you and that feeling that you describe. And mm-hmm. and I like while I can usually find a bridge back to continuity from those places, this one I was really like, I love seeing a Batman Bruce, like Bruce that's yeah. turned into a Batman. That's awesome. But I you know, it, it would be better if it were just an entirely Elseworlds story. Oh, like Batman Last Night on Earth was the other one, you know, and then like Wonder Woman Deader, you know, like there's a lot of apocalyptic end of the world DC books coming out right now. Just let us know what is and isn't that. Yeah. And yeah. this seems to be that. But again, we could go by, you know, every other page here has something fucking cool that happens in it. 
Yeah, there's, there is so much imagination in this. And I actually spent a lot of time reading this wall of text that is just kind of breaking down where a lot of the characters came from and, you know, kind of giving us uh, a quick overview of the DC multiverse and resets from like crisis, uh, infinite crisis. It's got stuff from zero hour, which I don't think you've ever read, but it was, it was final crisis stuff. It's got the justice league, Scott Snyder, Perpetua stuff. I had complex feelings about that Django. Can I, can I, can I bend your ear? Yeah. Bend away. So I thought, dang, Scott Snyder has a take on all of these different continuities and the way that they flow together in a really elegant solution. Like they, you know, he's describing how there's basically positive energy and then crisis energy and, you know, like whatever, Scott, sure, the gods that make these earths, you know, usually use the positive energy, but the God who made our earth used crisis energy. He, he created a really elegant explanation for all of it that fit really well. And I was like, dang, dude, that's a really, you, you have sort of explained continuity resets and um, the way things connect in a really elegant way. I'm impressed by that. In one two-page spread, too. But this keeps fucking happening at DC. Like, yeah. I was saying that same thing, you know, recently. Um, they, they have, you know, like Doomsday Clock. Jeff Johns basically did that same thing. It sort of explains how continuity shifts can happen. And Bendis right. even did a similar thing in Young Justice this week. At some point, we need to stop coming up with really elegant, smooth ways to describe how these comic universes work and just commit to one. Yeah, let and somebody let, have it. And, yeah, and, and let it, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's as elegant or smooth as this like Scott Snyder one is. Just pick a dumb one, it's comics, they're dumb. And then we'll find ways to make that dumb story interesting because that's what comics did for 70 years before all of this. So not, not complaining, but I was like, dang, this is good. But also I hope that this one sticks because we keep, in the last five years, we've had the new 52 and rebirth. So the, the meta story of all of these books has become, how do we explain that we've had all these restarts? And it's just like, we know we don't care. We're still yeah. reading the books. Just, just let them go. Um, if that makes sense. And then also I, I liked this. I liked the writing in this more than I thought. I love the ideas. I think maybe I'm just kind of over Capullo's art in this stuff. Yeah. And, um, it was he was inked by Glapion, right? And yeah. Colors by Placenza. I. Yeah, I don't. I don't dislike it. I mean, me it, neither. The art, the art, just like the writing, is a little bit too busybody and full of imagination. Like the the spires that the evil robins are sitting on near the beginning. They're they're like growing out of the the front of the church and just like some really interesting architecture there the the characters like the, the there's the the bat dinosaur the batman bringing up all of the civil war that was awesome guys from the from their graves to like, have the black lantern <laughs> ring that was one of my yeah. favorite parts it, it's Greg got Pulo. Jonah hex who's confused uh, like yeah it's so good greg Capullo is an undeniably amazing artist i'm just sort of like 
I'm I I'm ex- I would be excited to see this drawn by somebody else also. Like I've gotten a lot of Scott Snyder great Capullo books and I'm ready to see I'm ready to see somebody else draw on these pictures. So there there are three things that I want to ask you about and, and get your take on them. There's a scene in here where we see um, Superman reaching out to touch a blue hand in a in a circle in the in the space, right? Yeah, and that was that kind of harkens back to the cover of Rebirth number one, right? Which was sort of the big promise of Rebirth. There's somebody you're not going to believe who's behind this portal, and it became pretty obvious that it was probably Doctor Manhattan, right? And then Doomsday Clock took so long, and they they kind of scrapped it. Here we don't ever really see who that is, right? And he ends up killing. Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, like he kills the Justice League with some power beams. What, what, what's on that same on that? page? On that same page, yeah. It's, it's like first Superman's reaching out to, to kind of meet my take on that, being, and then the being kills him. Is that those are two different groups from two different realities reaching and they're each touching a different being because the top one is blue and the bottom one is purple so i feel like the top one is like that positive energy pole that scott snyder was talking okay. about and then the bottom one is sort of that that crisis energy I so like that so yeah perpetua is like the big bad in scott snyder's justice league run and and she's purple and used okay. the crisis crisis energy so I think that that's a clever way of tying the rebirth persona and like that being Dr. Manhattan or Wally West, Dr. Manhattan. And then also there sort of being this, but be also beyond the source wall, there's Perpetua who is evil. Yeah. What about uh, the Dr. Manhattan flash reappearance? Cause we haven't seen him since uh, that Scott Lobdell book, right? Yeah. Flash forward. And He's been teased for another... Oh, he was going to be the big thing in the, the fifth generation. 5G was going to be all about Flash Wally West. Oh, um, and, that, and that was canceled. Um, I'm into it. I, I, like, I like the way Scott Snyder writes him, where he is kind of Wally still, but mm-hmm. he's like also Dr. Manhattan. He's like, yeah, he, he refers to himself as I and we, and he's just sort of talking about how tired he is. And it kind right. of reminds me of me, like you know, when you have enough information to be having a panic attack and you're just like, I just want to stop thinking, but I can't. <laughs> so I, I, I like that stuff. I'm, I, I, I understand and support that there's probably a lot of people who think that like the Wally West, Dr. Manhattan or any ounce of Dr. Manhattan in the DC universe is blasphemous, but I think it's at least interesting. And it's here. And it's here and I don't find it blasphemous and i i'm i'm fine with it so i liked that uh and then the final thing that i thought was super cool and that made me rethink my opinion on the whole thing was um wonder woman having melted down her invisible metal airplane and turned it into a chainsaw that she cuts the batman who laughs with okay i didn't realize that that she turned the airplane into that she, yeah, in the beginning, we see her melting it down, melting down her airplane at his insistence. And then she says, um, like, he, he's like, oh, uh, so what, like, what did you make? Did you make a weapon, a sword? Um, so, oh, what, you would make a weapon or a sword? She's like, no, I already made it. And it wouldn't just be a sword. I thought that was, I just, I love the idea of 
invisible metal being able to be melted down and used. And then it says the chainsaw of truth, which is like the lasso and the airplane or something. And it's just like, shut up and embrace this comic book. You know, you know like I, it's a chainsaw made out of invisible airplane metal. You know what I'll also add that I liked a lot that is probably just a Jeff thing, but on page two, when you see that, uh, technically page three but page two when you see her using the chainsaw and she's uh-huh. probably putting the, it looks like Azrael armor to me it's the blue and yellow from that era of Azrael, yep. and it's yep. like the gauntlets and to me like you know the only thing that could take down a batman would be like the Azrael bat armor so i should like yeah. imbue this Azrael thing with invisibility thing and then it is what kills the batman who laughs which thank fucking god but uh, yeah, hopefully that sticks. Yeah, I thought well. that the the Batman eyes inside of the Bat T Rex's mouth was just delightfully stupid, um, and and the frowny face button that they push at the end to bring Doctor Manhattan, maybe Doctor Man Batman, out. Uh, you know, give me give me a frowny face in the DC book. Yeah. I was that I liked that tease as well the the frowny face because what's it mean why is it frowny but anyway I don't know what do you give this Django it's impossible to give this book a score I give it like a two and I give it a ten mm-hmm. like it's you you have to just completely let this comic happen and 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 decide whether you want to enjoy it or pick it apart because there it it's it's so silly and so over the top just like the original metal series you know like yeah there's a lot to love in there and if you think about it too hard it doesn't it it doesn't turn into something that i really want but i am i'm in for the the whole run here yeah i'll, I'll read the i'll read the the whole run i'm going to give this one a 7 uh it was better than i thought it would be I wasn't excited for it. I didn't love the first run and it, I was, it's on the outside. It felt a little bit to me, like it was going to be trying to capitalize on something that was surprisingly successful from a couple of years ago. And they've been trying to capitalize on that with the Batman and laughs who laughs since then. But uh, I think that even in spite of itself, it, it was very fun to read and there was a lot of cool ideas in it. Uh, Jeff, I read, the Howard Chaykin cover of the question, the oh. death of the stage number three. It is a glorious cover. I've got a Howard Chaykin cover of that as well. I feel pretty weird saying that I think I'm a Howard Chaykin fan. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a weird time to come on the Howard Chaykin train. Yeah, this, is, this cover is one of the weirder, um, like one of the better things that he's drawn in quite a while, I think. Anyway. Uh, this is The Question, The Deaths of Vic Sage, Book 3, Jeff Lemire, Dennis Cohen, Bill Sienkiewicz, with Chris Sotomayor on colors. Um, this one is similar to the last two, just kind of a one-shot story um, where Vic Sage is kind of thrown into a situation and he doesn't really know why he's there. Um, the second one was him in in like cowboy times this one is him in hard-boiled detective times and it made me want jeff lemire to write nathaniel dusk book three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man if there's one thing i bet he's aching to write <laughs> <laughs> um it's i think it's a it's just a good hard-boiled story you don't get a whole lot of closure here because uh we still have one issue left that i think we're going to need to in order to wrap up the series uh, and, and tell us why we keep 
at the end of each story, we keep running into this pit that has a bunch of Vic Sage skeletons in it. There was a character in there that I thought for a minute might be the priest from East of Grant Morrison's Gothic. Oh. Uh, the Batman story, because he seems to be sort of uh, sort of an eternal evil priest. Um, I, you know, also, why would that make me think that it was Grant Morrison's guy and not one of the other thousand eternally evil priests in Gideon stories? Falls? Or, or just in churches? Or just in, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was a pretty solid book. Uh, I, I'd give it a seven and a half or an eight. I... I I just cannot remember if I read issue two or not. Uh, it's a cowboy it, issue. All of this issue is worth reading just to get those four pages at the end where it shows the Dennis Cowan pencils and then just a black and white page of the inks by Bill Sienkiewicz. And yeah. like, if you like Bill Sienkiewicz, like Django and I are always screaming about, um, and Django like you know got me to start paying attention to it, it's yeah that's the most interesting thing to me to to see his process work on how he would put his hand to someone else's pencils and just to get you get strictly isolated Sinkevich effect when you're looking at the, the 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 art production pages that they put four of in the back of each of these issues and it's it's i'm ne- there's no one who inks like bill Sinkevich, i don't think no and like i don't think that there are many artists who can take really pretty tight pencils like you could trace those pencils and it would be a good comic like dennis cowan's pencils yeah they're solid you could fill in the blacks and just basically trace it and add a couple details and you would have a a solid comic somehow bill sinkevich takes these really solid pencils and makes them sketchier with ink like yeah i don't know how but you're right not as solid as the pencils and and it's great i read this it's Against Hope by Victor Santos, and it's so a graphic give, novel. Give people a little bit of uh, context for Victor Santos, because that's the selling point of this book to me. Um, he wrote the, the Polar comics, um, which are like comic size, but sideways and hardcover and like 120 pages or something. And that's what there's a Netflix TV show or a Netflix movie based on one of those stories. And then he and, also did Violent Love, which we've talked about on the yeah. podcast and, and is the yeah. one that I know him from. And and this the the polar stories are super black and white and blood and um just real violent. This one is some really nice colors and have has a little more of a mix of sort of super high contrast uh Frank Miller looking art and fights um, to go along with some really nice painted sort of art, like uh, a little more watercolory vibe to it. This is a super fucked up violent story. Um, it kind of opens with um, this, this girl going, going into, or being, being chased by uh, these white supremacists and um, she's she's running away from them. it's like uh the most dangerous game where they're hunting a person and uh throughout the story you find out how she got there and kind of the prejudices that that landed her in that situation are you trying to tell me that you think the most dangerous game is to hunt a person that's a movie bro i read this i read this pretty quick i would like to spend more time with it i read it right before we recorded the podcast so i was kind of under the gun cooking dinner 
re getting ready for this, but um, it is a it is a beautiful comic. I think if you're a fan of Darwin Cook or uh, Sin City or um, just watching uh, racists get their asses handed to them, like that's a cool thing to come out right now. Yeah, yeah. Was, fuck yeah. Yeah. This this is uh, this is a very violent comic, and it's very violent to the right people. I wish that the store was open right now so that we could put it in people's hands and they could look through it because the, the art is what sells this book more than anything. I would give it a score of probably eight, maybe eight and a half. It's one of, one of the best things I've read this week. Django, listen, it's been a long, hard day. What did you do today? You talked to any family today? You see any family today? Uh, I, I saw Erica today. I mostly just prepped up... Uh, Prepped up the FOC, uh, made made the pre-orders all get ready to go, and uh, you know, I just I just kind of had a Django day. Had a Django day, you know, like we've done all this work here, we've read these comics, we've just uh, gone to the bottom of our souls, like scraped the bottom bottom of our tummy lining to have you know good interesting things to say about them. Now it's just time to let the hair down. Just yeah. time to sort of you know like listen, we've been sitting up with nice posture for a while. Put the, you know, like, listen, we're all, you and I, we're wearing jeans-ish. Let's, let's sit down, open the Not legs anymore. Bit, slouch down a bit, um, and just really kind of get into it. Now, Django, before we recorded this here podcast, you put a call out to the Facebook community. You said, hey, we're going to be doing this thing if anyone has any questions or anything. So what we have here is a, a window of comments for the type of listener of the podcast who also gets on Facebook between... 8.30 and 10 o'clock at night <laughs> and has the gumption to make a comment. So let's see what that corner of our uh, real estate has been saying. Uh, okay. We're, we're going to do a lightning round here um, for you. I got two quick ones for you. Oh, you ready? Yeah. Kevin Ernest says, sexiest mailman. Okay. So that's a, that's a good one because uh, I would say him except for two days ago, I drove out to his house and delivered comics. So I would actually say <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, related, Will Elmer says, who's your new delivery guy? Ron. Is that Ron? It's yeah, Ron. It has Ron to be dropped Ron. off comics. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's, he's been helping us out. Okay. Sundays and this week, he took the in-town stuff on Friday. All right. Uh, Lance Baker wants Love to it. know, what is your favorite kind of pie? Good question, because he somehow knows that I'm a pie guy over a cake guy. I'm a pie guy over a cake guy, too. And I think that you and I probably don't have a whole lot of overlap in our pies. We have a pretty similar palate. On I know that we have most a lot of savory on our things. Pies. Really? I, have a lot, yeah, yeah. I fucking love pumpkin pie. And I really like uh, pecan pie. Yeah, so I, I knew that we both really liked pecan pie. Yeah. I don't like pumpkin pie but I really like pecan pie. Um, put apple pretty high also. I would too. I mean, like if it's a pie, I also, I think where we diverge is probably, I, I do like the cream pie. So like, I love a coconut mm -hmm. cream pie. Yeah. I, but I there's can, a lot of mayo in there. So it. I know you're not yeah. a huge fan. <laughs> what about uh, meat pies? Never had one. Really? Yeah. Like a, like a chicken pot pie? Oh, come on. A meat pie? Yeah, I love a meat pie. Like a chicken <laughs> pot? Absolutely. Oh God. Uh, Mike? Morantz wants to know, will we ever see Marvel and DC crossovers, Young Justice versus Teen Titans or another JLA Avengers? Oh, yeah. You think? 
Well, um, no, that was sort of my gut, like fan optimism I would opinion, which I, I do keep. Uh, I try to keep that at the ready at, at all times. Uh, frankly, I think that the Marvel DC relationship is probably at either the all time low or coming out of an all time low. Yeah, I agree. And I think that like DC separating with diamond and all of that is not entirely unrelated to Marvel. Um, But that is all based on tracking the drama. And when this whole quarantine thing started and the pandemic was happening, there seemed to be this huge outcry for a crossover of Marvel DC. And it actually seemed like at that moment, two and a half months ago, we actually might be in a situation where like, because no new things are coming out and Diamond was closed, we might actually get it. So um, a kind of hard no with also a soft, like two and a half months ago, I thought we were closer than we've ever been. So, you know. I mean, listen, uh, any day now, Disney's going to swallow AT&T and then all bets are off. Mm. Good Lord. That's a whole Um, different podcast. So uh, James Burke. Oh my God. God, I love him. What a political uh, Facebook aficionado. James Burke says, um, uh, name some comic... James Burke says, name some comics creators who cross over as kick-ass musicians. Please, smiley face. And Roman says, Tim Truman. I know there's more, but I can't remember them. So wait, comic characters that are also badass musicians or crossovers between bands Comic, and comic creators who are badass musicians so like uh gerard way yeah comes to mind immediately matthew southworth matthew southworth yep so um, gerard way is the obvious really big one uh james burke i can't imagine you're a huge my chemical romance fan although your daughter might be um he is a total badass um so that's an easy one matthew southworth did a podcast with us and it's a papcast presents from you know probably four months ago and he talks a lot about how he's toured with quite a few different bands and musicians i believe that he had played with um the the dude from the long winters who lives in seattle who was like a political activist um john roderick of the long winters and and matthew uh co-created stump town Yep. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, he's the, he's the artist, yeah, from which just got renewed for a second season and the cloven. I'm sorry. We don't have more for you. I do think that if I were to think about it for a while, or if I had read that earlier, I would have been able to like, you know, come up with a little bit longer list. Um, I would love to hear what our listeners are shouting at their podcast yeah. player right now, yeah. because I'm sure there's, there are some really obvious ones. Kurt Cobain wrote amazing comics. <laughs> well, I kind of wonder if um, uh, Mike Alred, had to have been in a band yeah he's just too ginchy not to i sure Um, don't know what that word means but let's move on uh jd boucher wants to know what obscure marvel or dc character do you think deserves their own series who has never had one before and roman what is he doing answering our facebook questions instead of being on this podcast with us what to be fair to be fair yes to be fair to be he wasn't invited Oh, okay. Uh, Roman says, the lame ten-eyed man, but only if Grant Morrison did it and explored his relation to the ten-eyed men of the empty quarter tribe that he introduced in 52 that put Batman through an exorcism ritual and ties in with that other lame goofball weirdly cited bat villain crazy quilt. 
That's from, I happen to know because I read it right before we recorded this podcast. That's from uh, an issue of 52. Number 30. Number 30. And uh, he, he happens again right before Batman R.I.P. in Grant Morrison's run. So, Jeff, who, who would you like to see, Marvel or DC, in their well, own series? First of all, fuck you, Roman, for answering that question that you now know the in-depth answer to because you were on Batman in Quarantine, a day-by-day episodic read-through of Grant Morrison's fantastic Batman run as hosted by mostly Jeff and Justin, also Roman a fair amount of the time, and occasionally Django. Available on the internet and where most podcasts are served. It's Batman in Quarantine. If you could just comment or review or like it, it would help <laughs> Jeff out a buttload all right everyone he's racing us like jeff wants batman in quarantine to get more comments and reviews than perfectly acceptable podcasts so it is every listener's job to, to help be him fair almost realize that and then help help this podcast pull ahead and then help him pull ahead we want uh we want a death race no one no one would listen to to batman and not the perfectly acceptable podcast this <laughs> this podcast is like being able to say that you listened to um you know I don't know, a band before they were a big band. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry, where were we? Yeah, Batman and Quarantine. So Roman, yeah. Okay, so what is my character who hasn't had a miniseries? Oh, God, Django, who's yours? I would like to see uh, The Inoculator, uh, a.k.a. Twitchkowitz, from Andy Helfer and Kyle Baker's Shadow Run. I'd like to see him in his own four to six issue miniseries. Um... I would love to see the Avenger as done by DC again, although I guess he already had his own in Justice Inc. Okay, so uh, so I, I, part of all me, shadow characters, Jeff. Can, can, did he say main Marvel or DC characters? Yeah. Okay. Um, part of me wants to just pretend like, can I always get away with these questions by answering Galactus? Oh, but he's as had his Galact- own series. Has he? Yeah, there's a Galactus series. Um, gosh, I can picture the covers. I don't. I, I can't even tell you when it came out, but there was. I'm pretty sure there was a Galactus series. Okay, so I, I I thought that was a possibility when I said it, but I was also surprised at how the like I couldn't quite say for sure that it. I feel like it was like two issues or some shit like that. Yeah, um, I I think there is you know a great six issue mini series to ideally be written by Jonathan Hickman about the council of Reed Richards solely about the council Mm. of Reed Richards, or even a single one of their protagonists as like a main figure in that organization. But I think like that has been introduced uh, to like the Donny Cates Venom run, most notably that arc and those characters have come back, but it really hasn't been explored too much since uh, Hickman did it in the Fantastic Four run. So I think there's at least something quite interesting to be done there. I can't. uh, So there's not a Marvel character that I feel strongly enough about who hasn't had their own series. And I can't think of a DC character at all who hasn't had their own series. Like the fucking signal had his own three issue series. Yeah. I elongated man has had his own series. It is hard to think about any of those characters. That's why I had to choose less a character more a plot element from the last six years the crimson what the crimson fox what is that uh, it's from the keith giffen run on justice league like she's this french uh like perfume or or supermodel or magazine publisher like 
super sexy French lady who fights crime. And okay, so the Crimson Fox movie. and the Infinite Council of Reeds are our answers. Uh, no, the Beefeater. The Beefeater. The Beefeater from, from that same series. Um, okay, Kisden Rowe. Oh, love it. Oh, man, Kisden, you're killing us. Get it. Is it on society to punish the supervillains that Batman captures and decide if they <laughs> should live or die? Yeah. Yeah? I mean, so I think that Batman considers himself an extension of his own sense of justice. Mm -hmm. And then he brings those criminals to the court system because he considers their sense of justice above his own. So, yeah, I think that, I, I think that if we were to not leave it, if we were to just allow Batman, if Batman believed that his sense of justice was the only appropriate one, then I think we'd have a problem on our hands. But as it stands, fortunately, he's a character who adheres to a larger code or at least the opinions of those on the outside. So he drops those criminals off at the courthouse building where they probably immediately have a trial. <laughs> but I think That's that, I, I think it's important to have multiple views of justice imposed and he adheres to that idea himself. So I, I do think it's on society. And if they're like, whoa, Batman, this dude's not even a criminal, you know, get, then they let him out and they're like, Batman, maybe don't be so hard on people. But I doubt it. I, I doubt it happens that way as much as it happens the other way, which is how often, how often do you think uh, Batman also has to drop off video evidence of somebody breaking a law so that, they don't just get immediately cut loose when they're found that's a hanging from the light pole in front of the police station that's a really good point he does just drop criminals like, off with same a, with, with spider-man signal drawn like yeah okay. but it's like okay but we don't know what he was doing and beyond that you stopped him from doing it so we have no evidence as well i think the only solution is for him to brand them on the face to say like this is batman's stamp of disapproval yeah. Put them in jail. So Hannah Miller wants to know. Hannah Miller, one of the great delivery options that we have found through the comics place. Uh, thank you for being such an awesome, constant supporter of the store. Yeah, I think she's probably racing like two or three other people for being the most engaged with our COVID-19 delivery system. What a crazy thing that I would celebrate. <laughs> what a crazy thing to celebrate. Uh, it's been really fun watching her get way into comics lately. Uh, so she asks, what is the first comic and or comic writer, creator, or artist that got you hooked on this artistic medium? What is a comic title you'd recommend for newbie comic readers? I mean, mine I is love it. Hook, hooked on absolutely uh, The Shadow by Andy Helfer and Kyle Baker. I, was, I read that, and then I read it like seven more times, and then I just started reading comics. It was a pretty slippery slope after that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons that it's been awesome to do Batman in quarantine, because I do think that it was like, I, I read comics as a kid, loved them, loved superheroes more as a, just a big thing. Lost touch with them until I was older uh, in high school. The first comic I read where I dipped my toes back at all into the comic book world was Batman Hush. And that was a book where I was like, oh my God, I wish I knew what was going on in this world. And then several <laughs> years went by and then I got invested in Grant Morrison's Batman mm -hmm. run around the same time as a lot of other things. But that one was the one that like 
it was like probably what it's like to do heroin. It was like, do <laughs> you want to be so involved in a monthly comic book that you're going to be reading blogs from strangers online, which is a practice you never engage in? Um, so it was, it was like mainlining, you know, the, the, you know, the high points of what the industry has ever offered me. So, so that one, and then to take a step backwards, I think for newbie readers, I think Batman Hush is such a fantastic book to, um, make, make someone want to know everything that could allow a story to exist. And that one, um, is, is a great 12 issue mystery story. But I think what it does more than that is it touches on a, a lot of external parts of the DC universe and mm. it makes the reader ask like, how, how, how can this just touch over there? And therefore this is also developed over there and it makes you want to read m- more of the whole network. That's interesting. I don't think that I could answer that question in general because I feel like you need an amount of information from the, the individual person. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, somebody needs to right. read Watchmen first. Yeah, that's somebody the else right. Needs to read Hush. That's the right fucking answer, Django. But it's a fucking cop out. All right. Well, I, I love, I love your answer. Like, if, if, if I had to prove to somebody that comics can be something really good, I would hand them Watchmen to start. Watchmen or Transmetropolitan or like Day Tripper, or Day Tripper. Those, but, but all three of those are very different people, right? You know, right. if if you're talking superhero comics, I think. I think Hush is a really good answer. I think All-Star Superman would be also a really good answer. So I think that we're down to one more. And this is actually the first person who commented, uh, and I saved it. It's Teal Hudson. She wants to know, what is one thing you would like to see more in comics that's not super common? It could be a trope, maybe something more mundane, or maybe ideas that aren't explored more. That's I'd really like to see question. how the fuck the cops trust that Batman is the one that tied those guys up outside of the police station at the lamppost. Well, it's not a question of how, it's why, Django. Was it's it because Batman? they've learned to trust him. No, Was uh, it Batman? Was it somebody else? It would be easy know. to... Yeah, okay, so that's not my answer. <laughs> oh. Oh, what do I want to see more of? That's such a tough question because... There are there are many things in comics that I feel are underrepresented and I wish there was more of. I would like to see those but, things. Oh, Jesus. Also, when you ask me what I want to see more of, I want to see more like meta narratives. I want to see like more books that are like trying to stretch that gap between like conceptually trying to stretch that gap between what is both fiction and then what is unique about comics as a medium and then how can i use that medium to make a comment about itself and its overall relationship with us as humans who are engaging with it that, that is sounds the like... thing i love the most and what hickman and morrison do and why i, I like those and, and it's why i like them and what is what i want more of so so you know, of the two types of questions there, like, you know, that's me interpreting that question as like, what is my favorite thing that, that I only really get from two real things. And I would love more of that. That is my favorite thing that exists in comics. And I therefore would like to see more of. So you're asking for a comic book to turn into a snake and then twist itself into a Mobius strip and eat its own tail. You want like a Mobius Ouroboros. Yeah. 
Yeah. Have you read I feel the... like I explained it pretty clearly, <laughs> all right? I think you did. I think you did. Uh, I was just trying to get kind of up my own ass explaining it. No, I'm not um, into that. You, uh, <laughs> have you read uh, Grant Morrison's Animal Man, which was like the, the I don't know if it was his first thing that, that showed his ability to kind of confront the meta aspect of comics, but it was the first one I was aware of. And I think that to take that one step to the side, I would like to see those, but I would like to see them as a normal thing, something that's not pointed at. Because a lot of times in mainstream comics, you'll get a story that has some really solid progressive ideas, but they're constantly kind of pointing at it and pointing it out and, and bringing your attention to it. And I think that it's a lot more impactful for me if you don't have like, look how, look how progressive we're being pointed out to you as you're reading a story. Um, like, uh, actually wind, I thought did a really good job of that where it's just like, yeah, this dude's got a crush. It's a dude. And like, there's no real mention of that. It's not like a plot twist. It's not, it, it, it's just part of this character. And, and I would like to see a lot more of that just kind of, oh yeah. Also this, this cast is multicultural, not look at our multicultural cast. Yeah. No, know? I, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I think that like wind did that in a perfect way. Cause it also like, didn't, it didn't make you expect that, nor did it acknowledge that it was anything that was outside the norm. So yeah, um, yeah I, I think like what I mean is like bring up all of those things. So they're on a level where it isn't at all unnormal to be experiencing it yeah. is, is the ideal. Like, yeah. Raise everything up to, the same level of you know familiarity with a as a as a thing that you're engaging with, and it's super tricky because some of these characters, well, a lot a lot of the legacy characters are just straight white dudes, right? But but Django, what's your favorite fucking thing in comics that you would just love to see more of? Like, what are your absolute favorite things? And now let's let's take it a step further than that. You have been loving Tom Taylor. You get down with Tom Taylor. And right. that doesn't like that doesn't even fit within the contextual frame of like you know Django loves crime noir books and cigarettes and alleys and dames, <laughs> but actually, what he's really been enjoying is Tom Taylor stuff lately. So my question is, what is it that you would like to see more of in comics, Django? Uh, I want more uh, comics that confront father issues, and oh. I want more barf in my comics. Like those, <laughs> either one of those. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of a scene where there is either a son or a father throwing up on the other and there's gotta be something there yeah i mean i i don't know man it feels weird getting old and sort of moving away from look at this time superman punched mongol and moving towards tom taylor where you're like oh look uh jim gordon feels like these kids that he's helped raise in a zombie apocalypse are his own children. And, uh, oh, now I'm really sad that they're dying. Um, See, I'm- Because that, that shit would not have had an impact on me five years ago. Man, that's crazy, because that was the shit I was into when I was like 17. Yeah, yeah we are very <laughs> different people, except we both like pecan pie. <laughs> yeah, that's true, we both like pecan pie. Um, well, Django, listen, what else do we have here? I think, I think that's it. I think, I think that's we, everything. I think we, uh, yeah, we we scraped to the bottom of the comment barrel, and that's not to say that we did it in order. 
I think we scraped the bottom of the content barrel right out of the gate. Sorry, Kevin Ernest. <laughs> but no, Teal's question was a fucking great fucking question. Right. Um, but no, like to complete the metaphor, like we serve the pie and the coffee. Uh, we turn the open sign off. We put the uh, we put the song closing time on and we mop the floors while Django cleaned the pie cases. Yep. And we counted the tills. And now it's time to turn the lights off this old fair diner and uh, get, get right on out of here. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're about done. I mean, we should remind people to, you know, listen to our other podcasts. If they haven't figured out what it is by now in our discussion today, uh, I'm not going to tell them again. Well, yeah, we did mention it a couple of times, but Batman in Quarantine, everyone should listen to. It showed up in this feed if you skipped that episode. Shame on you, because you all know you want more Justin. We all want more Justin, and that's... Justin is, is on at least 80% of the episodes we've recorded so far. So, uh, there's more also, Justin. Yeah, Justin. There's also uh, a little more Roman and Trevor on the Infinity Content Podcast. Uh, search for that in your feeds. And, uh, you know, we're on Facebook. You can call us. You can email us. Um, well, I, I really like us. these Facebook things. I do too. I've gotten texts from two people this week that have finished uh, big runs. Uh, Matt Goff finished a big ecstatics run and uh, Nathan Butcher was cruising through uh, Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars. So if anyone yeah. out there is ever just excited about a comic, um, you know, shoot us a text, I guess. Matt dropped off a comic for you at my house the other day. Hell yeah, you did. Yeah. It's uh, a little bit of Grant is. Morrison and Frank Quietly. I Oh, I can't wait to get it. <laughs> I can't wait to get it. All right, listen, Django, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks for Thank the pie. You. I'm Jeff, and as always, thanks for making a pecan pie for you and I to split over a cup of coffee and a comics discussion. It took us almost 200 episodes to come across a gimmick, but that's got to be it. It's, we're going to stick with it now. We, should, we could go back and record little fronts and ends of our podcast about pie for the Think new listeners. how much pie we would eat if, if all that happened. I'm Django, and uh, I'm going to have a blood pie.